0: Thank you for joining me today in the Chaos Gallery. I'm your host, Vic, and this is Lit with Vic, a show where I, your host, endeavor to discuss the literature we love to read, watch, and talk about. This is not an English class. I'm not going to make you analyze each and everything, but I do want to show you all that the TV, the films, the music, the plays, the books, comics, the poetry we consume, and much more are literature. I want to show that stories are fun and are worthy of study, and I hope you'll join me on this journey. Thank you, and into the show we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Effect. This is so exciting. I didn't believe I would get to hear this fast, but here we go. Anyways, so today's episode is a lovely chat with my friend CJ, Clarissa, Orbear, As you'll hear in the episode, this is actually... An accidental series. We were talking about The Secret Garden, and then we couldn't help mentioning the little a little princess. And so this is the first part of that. You'll hear the next one right around first day of spring. I just figured, you know, a little princess is a bit more wintry, even though it was recorded second. Anyways, thank you again to my dear friend CJ for coming in and chatting with me. I had so much fun, as per usual. We always have a blast together, and. Enjoy. Just so you know, before I go, this is, there will be a, couple, a lot of interview episodes over the next couple of weeks. I was very lucky on my reading break to get the chance to interview some amazing people slash just chat to some of, of my, my great friends. So I hope that you guys will enjoy this type of content. I will be having some singular episodes in the, in the next couple of months. I just... I'm a student, I need to have time to formulate everything together. So, please, bear with us, on to the show. Ah. We actually begun? We've yes, actually begun. It, it's actually begun. I, brain. Yeah, it's, it's a thing. Vacation. Vacation brain. I'll need to go home for a rest, I guess. These so-called vacations, man. i am yeah. not it my best. So, yeah, <laughs> same, I'm like, oh... What brains do I have? I was like, I can't have so much energy to do stuff this week. And it's like, no, no. And we are back. We are back to ready to attack and to sew while we do so. Except I totally forgot my sewing stuff, but it's fine. I will, I will sit here and clutch my tea. You can also steal my pen, my pins if you'd like, and my needles, but uh, my needles are not very small. Like <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't know how much good it would do me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, to be fair, I don't know how good my my needles are for me, even, because I uh, got. I can lend you a couple of needles. Oh, thank you. I got myself some sharps, and I think they must have gotten lost somewhere. Yes, well, needles are one of those things. Yes, unfortunately. I think my dress keeps eating my needles. I've had to change needles three times. You know what? And that, 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 that happens. <laughs> but we should. We should start the podcast. We should, yes. Yes, because this is... Uh, I don't know when I'm going to post this. I think I might post this before I post the Secret Garden one, because the Secret Garden one's more... We were talking talking a lot about the little princess in the Secret Garden, because that was the one that I'd read more recently. Yes. So, hi, I'm Clarissa. I, I also go by Bear. Yes. Which a lot of people think is a super weird name, but... To me, it is just my name, because that is what my family called me for all of the formative years of my life, was just straight up there. I respond to V, so... And I'm going to call you Vic, probably, on this podcast, as I forget myself. Yes, well, and, uh, well, my, my family calls me V, but everyone else calls me Vic, and I initially didn't like that nickname, because it was given to me in junior high school by a guy who was trying to be a jerk. However... I grew into it, and I love it, actually, now. My junior high nickname was Claire, which is so weird <laughs> to me, because it just doesn't suit you. It doesn't suit me at all. But, like, also, I got so annoyed, because it was like, it's not Clarissa, it's Clarissa. There's the ah yeah. uh sound, not an ah uh sound. Ugh. Yes. Like, I would have accepted less, just crop out bits of my name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know... But the topic of nicknames is not why we're here today. Yes. Welcome back. Or should I say this is the first... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking I might post this one first just because the other ones are going to be a monster to edit. Wait, <laughs> when does somebody with ADHD ever do things in the right order? Exactly. This is my second time recording, possibly the first time y'all have heard me on this podcast. Yes. We, we're we going to see. I think it's most likely that it's, it's going to be the first time based on... Uh, what what we talked about in the secret garden so today we're covering french francis hodgson burnett's novel a little princess yes and our subsequent thoughts on adaptations oh my god yes because i i'm almost sorry i made you watch that no (laughs) no it was so much fun why are you saying sorry? I made you watch The Secret Garden. With... The Secret Garden adaptation actually followed the plot of the novel. Yes. <laughs> and it had greasy but touchable, but um, but touchable. Um, Mr. Craven, which you'll have to wait to know why I, I call him that. It's like rating high school boys. Yeah. Five out of ten. Greasy but, but touchable. touchable. <laughs> yes. You might have to crop that one and put it in the Secret Garden episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just have greasy but touchable Mr. Craven appear. I was actually going to say because we didn't get to it on the other episode, but we could totally do our fan cast version. Oh, oh my God, fan um, cast uh, um, um, the secret garden, um, um, of a Little princess. princess and the Secret Garden. Okay, so fan cast for this a Little Princess. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. Because it's, it's it's tough, because most of the time they've gone for, like, blonde, cherubic. Sarah Crew, but that's not how she's supposed to be. No, she's tiny, she's she's skinny. Frankly a little waifish. Yeah, and Frances Hodgson Burnett does not like waifs. <laughs> no, she's really hard on the waifs. She's like... Let's make their lives hard and hope that they fatten up soon. Also, let's make this the last time we say waif on the podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, this is a this is a literature podcast, so I might have to mention a couple more waifs in future. <laughs> <coughs> it just doesn't take many repetitions for that to stop sounding like a word. True. <laughs> I mean, my name, after I've read it so many times, it does not feel like a word. I am taking a long 18th century literature course, this is very off topic, but we keep discussing the novel Clarissa. And I did not realize how blessed I was by having like a very old-fashioned name through junior high, high school, all of my schooling, because I was never the kid that got used in the examples. There was never a Clarissa that bought 75 Mm -hmm. watermelons, it was always like a Susan or something. And I, it's so jarring to hear somebody say your name and then be like Clarissa from the novel Clarissa, and then like tell tell you what this Clarissa did. It's like she was totally, you know, deceived by this dastard. And I was like, I wasn't, but thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I am also very lucky, but that's only because I don't have an anglicized name. Yes, anglicization. It'll yes. Kill you. Well, yes. Because Victoria with a K, uh, instead of a C, is not common, and if it was intentionally put into math questions, it was probably just because of that. Just, just I see you. I see you there, with your foreign-sounding names. That foreign, honestly. No, it's. I think it's the older version of the, yeah. Of the spelling. Yeah. It's like people always get confused about how I spell my name, but my spelling is the actual traditional English spelling of the name Clarissa. Yeah. One R, two S's. Although my mother is like, sometimes I forget how many S's go in your name, and I just keep going. Clarissa. Uh, hey, my, my family still will spell my name with a C, because that is the more That's common right. version. Yeah. Also, autocorrect. I'm sure kills you on that. It's learned because I made a shortcut to actually spell my, na- spell my name right, but... My name sounds very English, Victoria Bradley, but it is not at all. My dear Miss Bradley. Yes, because first name, German, last name, Irish. I know, but somehow the intersection of German and Irish is English, actually, shockingly. Yes. (laughs) Not for me. My mom's last name was Marple. I love that. Yeah. So, Miss Marple. She she was Miss Marple. She was Miss Marple. My grandmother is Mrs. Marple. Oh, to sound like you're from a a, a mystery, <laughs> and then uh, Mewhort we're pretty sure is Scottish. Yeah, I think it sounds like that. But then I've uh, got some very strong Flemish roots because my great grandmother was from Belgium, mm-hmm. and then French Canadian as well. But we yeah. are very far off topic. We are. I mean, Flemish that brings us close to the uh, origins of Sarah Crew. Circle back. <laughs> we well, cer- circle back. So if any of you haven't read The Little Prince, uh, sorry, A Little Prince, I don't know why my brain keeps on calling, calling it The Little Prince. It's okay, it's a I a said A Secret Garden. Hey, so well, we're just going to... S- we're just s- swapping. Swapping. <laughs> you, you want me or, to take this one? Yeah. All right. So Sarah Crew is our young, enterprising heroine who is uh, very adult for her age, and so she is quite resigned to her situation, and her situation is this. Her father has to go to South Africa in order to take part in this business venture with a close friend of his. So she is sent off to London to live in a boarding school, Miss Manchin's seminary. Miss Manchin is very strict-looking, but, you know, sucks up to Captain Crew like sucking up is going out of style. And... She is incredibly spoiled. Captain Crew buys Sarah all sorts of incredible toys and clothes and just everything a child could ever dream of. Mm -hmm. And he expects Miss Manchin to continue this treatment of Sarah. So she does for a great many months until news reaches them that not only has Captain Crew died in Mm -hmm. Africa of malaria... But he has also lost his entire fortune to this business venture with his friend. Yeah. And then Sarah, who, is, who has no relatives and is now given to the care of Miss Manchin as like a permanent ward, becomes a servant in the school. Because all of this money that Miss Manchin spent wasn't necessarily Captain Cruz, it was also hers. And so now she's trying to get her value out of Sarah. Um, so there's a great many deprivations, sort of, like, just terrible, terrible treatment yeah. of Sarah for... This goes on and on. It's a very, like, tear-jerker novel for these pages. And then somebody moves in next door to the school. And he has an Indian servant, and Sarah Crew grew up in India. So this servant and Sarah strike up a friendship. And she... he sneaks in luxuries to sarah's room over the course of an evening and as we later find out the person who moved in next door to sarah is captain crew's old friend who had not lost the money but was not very good at math and thought he had and fretted himself essentially into a brain fever
1: (laughs) yes and then he ran away
0: and then he's and then he forgot sarah's name because of that so he's been searching for her all across europe frantically he sends their his neighbor and friend to russia to to Moscow to moscow to go find this girl and it's like oh it's not even her and then just by a fluke this monkey he comes into her room and she brings him back they uh get talking with her and she's like oh um my name is sarah crew and they 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 start putting bringing the dots together and they're like wait this is the child that we've been searching for she's been next door to this us the entire time we've been spoiling her yeah this <laughs> entire time and then uh yeah she gets to go she and her friend Becky get to go and live with live the rich life yes and be happy together and Miss Minchin. Gets to be absolutely reasonable yeah. while watching Sarah have the time of Yeah, life. that it's a bit. Va- that was an amazing summary. <laughs> <laughs> I am very good at summaries. Yes, I was sort of like, how do I explain this short form? Like, you, there's so much that happens uh, though, and in that so book, much that happens. and and Frances Hodgson Burnett, she does a really good job of creating these like. She. Gives you so much empathy for her characters. They're so real. They are. When I was when I was a little girl, and I read this, and so this will lead into a funny story, but when I read this, I thought I could meet Sarah Crew. Like, I thought she was, like, almost like a real person. Like, that's how good it was. Yeah. But, so, fun story about me and a little princess is this was one of the first books I was allowed to read on my mother's palm pilot. Now... I'm sure very few people these days know what a Palm Pilot is. I don't even know. Okay, so imagine a Kindle. Okay. But in 2006. Oh, wait, I remember. Yes, yes, I remember. Okay. So it's like the great-grandmother of the Kindle. Okay. Yeah. I, so my first experience with a Little Princess, so did you ever read those illustrated classics? In. Okay, so in elementary school, I had a lot of issues with reading. But once I got caught up, I was pretty voracious, and I binged through the entire chapter book section of the library. I was like, where do I go next? Oh, these illustrated books are cool. I'll read those. And they were the illustrated classics. And uh, they were formative (laughs) because they had pretty pictures and they were interesting. Uh, I still have my copy of The Swiss Family Robinson from there. God, I love The Swiss Family Robinson. We will do a podcast on that one. Yes, just how bonkers it is. It's so... The, the biology in that book is so bad. My mom is a biologist. She would read it to us, and she would have to stop to laugh every two pages. <laughs> I would also love to hear her thoughts on, like, Jules Verne. <laughs> I don't think we ever covered that one. Um, she's very good at putting aside, like like, suspending her disbelief for things. But uh, the one that got her was when they were like, ah, the pineapple, which grows on a vine. And then, like, three paragraphs later, ah, the pineapple, which grows on a bush. <laughs> if you haven't read the Project Gutenberg version, there's trends, there's editor's footnotes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Where it's like, the pineapple, which grew on a vine, it doesn't. <laughs> it grows from the ground so good it's amazing i love a good sassy footnote <laughs> yeah but um that's where i discovered uh, a little princess but it took me a bit longer to find the secret garden which eventually became my favorite of Hanson burnett's books but uh, that's mainly because i was a kid who like grew up gardening i definitely saw yeah. myself in mary lennox but also not so much myself in mary lennox more like a the in Martha See, And I saw myself in Sarah Crew, but I think personality-wise, everybody who knew me as a child would agree I am far more like Mary Lennox. Yes, I agree. Um, it's just that I, I was a bit of a serious child. Um, that's the ADHD. I didn't get along with, like, yeah. all of my classmates, but I had, like, a few good friends. And so I vibe hard with the th- three close friendships Sarah Crew has in the book. Which are Becky, Uh, Ermingard? Yeah, er, Ermengarde. Ermengarde, and uh, the oh, the the young one. I my brain keeps on wanting to call her Amy, and I know it's not. But I was. I talking. want to call her Betsy, and I know it's not that. Yeah, it will come to us. <laughs> She's basically the one that Sarah Excuse adopts. You? Yeah, I don't know. Let's let's check. Let's just Google. I have I have the I have the ebook on my. We are experiencing technical difficulties. <laughs> we are experiencing brain fog. And one of the things though that like I was a bit serious as well, but um I think what Lottie. People, Lottie. Oh Lottie. okay. No wonder Charlotte. Lottie. All the things I cut out. <laughs> I I am looking forward to learning what winds up on the cutting room floor from our last uh, recording <laughs> session. I try to keep it as much as I can, but I'll take out, like, things like ums and us, and things that people don't realize we do, because even, I forget, I think I'm talking really coherently, and I've just got a lot of ums and ahs and e, and yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And I'm sure you'll cut out some of the bits where we were overlapping our sentences. <laughs> some of them will be left in because funny, but some yeah. of them won't. Anyways. Um... Yeah, but Sarah, it's, what I liked about this uh, book is that you have these really amazing female friendships that are just like, they transgress class and... And age, too. And age, yeah, because... Sarah, Yeah, Lottie's quite young, and Sarah is... Something of the surrogate mother. Yeah, especially because they both don't have mothers, so they're they kind of adopt each other. And if we want to include the friendship with Ram Das, not only transgressing, perhaps, societal boundaries, but also age as well, because he's yeah. an adult. And race. And race, yeah. Well, and, like, the fact that they bond over the fact that they both lived in India from it forever. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting, because what I liked about Becky, specifically, is... How much pathos she's written with? Mm-hmm. My friends is how Burnett. Of course, there's like the oh Miss, oh Miss that you get throughout the book, because it's. out to the Shirley temple, like, temple adaptation for definitely including all of that. Yeah. Very annoying, but hey, kudos for accuracy. Yeah, well, and I what I liked in the uh, in the in the 1990s film version. Is I don't that... know if I've seen that one. Okay, uh, Becky's black in that one. Oh, and in the end, they sort of just get to be sisters, nice, and dress beautifully together, and just yeah. But I don't know how uh, how transgressive that is as well for the era, just having her be sort of a servant for Sarah as well, even though I think that yeah, but it's. I mean, we've also got to consider the class distinctions within sort of the servant class. Like, it wasn't just all servants felt they were equal to each other. There was definitely a hierarchy within that, and the difference between the girl who clears your coal scuttle and the girl who does your hair is, like, almost as much as between the girl who does your hair and rich middle class. Yeah. Exactly. So... It's just interesting to think of, but it's nice in that adaptation because you get to see black joy rather than just black pain. Yes. It, in, which, in a lot of. Unfortunately, in a lot of fiction, that's what you get, even though, like, there were black aristocrats throughout history. And yes. That's lo- another thing that I liked about Ram Das is that, okay, listen, he's a servant, and that's not, like, the best because this is the only yeah. person of color we have, and. <clears throat> Burnett? Burnett. But. He is also the main vehicle for the plot of the story. Yeah. He he does a lot in the second half to drive the plot forward. And it's it can be quite rare to see a person of color in a book, especially a book of this era, who has autonomy. Yeah, within the plot and who actually affects the plot. And the fact that he there there are friendships. There is a friendship between him and Sarah. And that it's a respectful friendship. And he, he, like, he keeps an eye on her. He's like, this kid isn't getting anything to eat. She barely has a fire lit. I don't think I've seen her ever have a fire in her grate. Then to think there's rats. Like, we gotta do something for her. That was the hardest part for me to read as a kid. was the rat friendship. Yeah, the rat friendship, and then, like, the rat abandonment. Yes. So, for anybody who doesn't know, Alberta has no rats. We don't have rats. That is not to say that there are no rats in Alberta. That is to say that rats only exist in Alberta for as short a time as we can manage it. We have we, a rat squad. We have a dedicated rat squad. <laughs> if, if, if there's a rat... Especially a pregnant female. They will track it down, and... Get rid of and it. Kill it. There's a uh, if you go into print shops, they have a lot of posters of the sort of rat hunting that's going on throughout Alberta's history. Because Canada is the only place in the world without rats. Um, I've never seen a rat. Have you? Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I was more scared of the rat I saw living in Malaysia than I was of any of the snakes, geckos bugs, anything, any of it. I, I was, I was far more scared of the rat. Uh, yeah, <laughs> fair. So, so it was, it's, yeah, that's an interesting fear, I think, that most Albertans have. Yes. Well, I used to think that rats are, like, tra- tarantulas would come out of the drain in my house, and I'm like, why, you, you won't get tarantulas or black widows coming out of your drains, or rats, in, not in Alberta. Not in Alberta, no. That's not physically possible. And also, how? How? Yeah. Having lived in Melbourne, I am no longer scared of Alberta for spiders. Like, I get it. Albertans, we have some some pretty okay-sized ones, but they ain't dangerous. Yeah, I, I don't really... I don't mind spiders at all, actually. Yeah, it's fine. Spider-Man helped break me from that. But... The Rat Friendship. It was cute. She did a good job of writing it to be cute, but also terrifying. Yes. I am far more Ermengarde than Sarah in that regard. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. One of the other things I, I really thought was interesting is the commentary on the French Revolution. Yes! There's... I... And I'm so sad they left that out because uh, it's part of her characterization. So Sarah, one of the, she has a special interest in the French Revolution. She she's really interested in it, and it makes sense because she has French heritage, her, her mom's, mom's French. Yeah. So of course she's fascinated by it. But uh, so one of the things she and Becky do is they play a game where they're. Sort of the prisoners at the Bastille, <laughs> and it's sort of the way they communicate with one another. They're like, "We're prisoners. We're 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 prisoners in our arms. We're waiting for our day of freedom, and that day of freedom comes when the uh, the the sort of when when Sarah's room is redecorated while she's asleep. There's also um. The title A Little Princess refers not only to how the nickname people give her because she's so spoiled, but also to her own determination, like, on the inside, that no matter what happens to her, she's going to pretend to be a princess. Yeah. And I I found it so funny when we get to this bit where she's facing down, uh, I think it's Miss Manchin, and she's like, I will be like Marie Antoinette on her way to the guillotine. <laughs> I, will, I will be bald. I will be, I will have, I will be. I will keep my head up. I will be steadfast and strong. Yes. I will not be scared. Because I study the French Revolution. It's one of the things I've studied the most in university. One of the things I talked about on the most recently posted episode at this point, uh, episode four, was the Haitian Revolution and sort of, because I was doing a book recommendation thing. I, hey, you've been talking to me about the Haitian Revolution for four weeks now? Yes. And I love hearing about it. So yes, <laughs> thank you. I'm glad I haven't exhausted you of it because there isn't enough discussion about the Haitian Revolution, and it just I I think that one of the things in the Little Princess is that you see this very one sided version of the French Revolution yes. coming to light in her yeah. in her in her version of it. But I just think it's so fascinating seeing that and depictions of the French Revolution in fiction, whereas you don't really see a lot of that in about the Haitian Revolution. I, believe me, I've been trying to because I'm writing. I'm gonna be trying to write a paper on fiction about the Haitian Revolution. But it's hard to find, huh? Hey? Yeah. Well, and most of the stuff about that area is gonna be about the West Indies, which is gonna be more Jamaica, and you do want to have that discussion in. As well as in the the Haitian Revolution. I think the main thing about the Haitian Revolution was that it... it, How do I phrase this? It was a well-organized revolution, in terms of revolutions which are inherently messy. And it was based on the same principles as the French Revolution. So nobody wants to acknowledge this. Because if we do we open up the terrifying prospect of maybe people who do not have the same skin color as us are the same as us because skin color doesn't actually matter. Exactly. And, and, and nobody wants to consider that. Um, the skin color does not matter. I can tell you this because I have been mistaken for being Native American. Uh, this is a podcast so nobody knows what I look like. I have green eyes. And I have red hair, but I tan very dark in the summer. Yeah, and so despite being raised in a very Western way, in a very white middle class way, sometimes racists don't know what they're looking at. (laughs) One of the interesting things about the Haitian Revolution is that it shows just how complicated the idea of race is, specifically because um, there wasn't just... One, two sides. There were many sides. You have the Grands Blancs, the Petits Blancs, you have the different segments of the Black mixed race populations, some of which held slaves who wanted to keep holding slaves and so were thus against the Haitian Revolution itself because they wouldn't be able to profit. Because the reality is, it's never actually about skin color. It's about whether or not you can oppress people. Yes, and make a profit yeah. off of that oppression. Ah, oh, capitalism. It's one of the reasons why, uh, unfortunately, Haiti is so poor, is because even though they won, they were made to pay for it. Yeah. Which, France is not how these things work. I really, that is my least favorite governmental policy. And, like, I understand why it is one, but, like, we don't politically agree with you. We're going to starve your citizens. Why? 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 Yeah. But, anyways, it's just interesting seeing how, partially, because of what Sarah is Studying and focusing on with the French Revolution is this common commentary about class as well yes class and Sort of class relations because you have miss Minchin, the tyrant yes, and then you have uh, Sarah and Becky who are are the, the poor we have Becky, who is born to this sort of life, who, uh, yeah. as far as I know, she was a foundling, and now she is a servant, and she has never known anything else. And then we have Sarah, who has, for the first time in her life, really looked at how much of wealth is luck. Yeah, exactly. And then we have commentary on, um, on wealth, specifically, is do, should people deserve to have wealth? what what is deserving and how can we monitor that? Yeah, and what is being spoiled and not spoiled. Because Sarah's an interesting foil to Mary Lennox. Yes. Because both were born into a place of relative privilege. But the the fact that they were raised differently shows how how these situations could go. Yeah, uh, Burnett brings up an interesting point in, in regards to sort of child care that I think is still relevant today. And it's Mary Lennox does not have her parents' attention. She does not have good guidance. She is not taught what is wrong and right. And so she is the worst sort of person for the first part of The Secret Garden. But Sarah Crewe, her father sees her as like his whole world. And so, yes, she is spoiled, but She's not spoiled necessarily in terms of being given everything she wants and being treated like she's this miniature tyrant. She should always get what she wants. She's spoiled in terms of attention more than anything else. This is, in the book, it says in the first chapter that this is the first time he's ever done anything like this for her yeah. before. And she, he's only buying her these things because it's a poor substitute for his personal affection while he's gone. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's an important message of, pay attention to your kids. Pay attention and actually take care of your kids. Yeah. Or else they'll turn out like, say, Letitia. Yes. Who is an absolute bitch? A witch. A witch. A witch. To, uh... No offense to all the good witches out there. That Yeah, no offense to all the witches out there. But, um... She, she just, she isn't kind to any of the servants, and she she's really just jealous of Sarah and her ability to stay poised and, and calm in a situation like this. And jealous of the attention Sarah gets from Miss Mansion. I think that's yes. the biggest thing, is that... She's a threat. She's a threat to the amount of attention that Letitia is getting. And so... Really, I think that Burnett has an interesting point here, wherein she is like, if you leave the raising of your children to people who cannot tell them no, you will not get a good and well-behaved child. Yes. <laughs> Which, when I put it like that, seems obvious. Yeah. And it's she also makes a point that families do not have to be ones that are made with blood. They're ones you choose to make for yourself. Yeah, which you can see in *The Secret Garden*. You can definitely see in *A Little Princess*. Oh yeah, for sure, because it's really that that one's a found family trope if I ever saw one. <laughs> this one started the fam, fam found family trope. It's, yes, yes, and it's it's just a delight honestly to read. Like the ending is just like there's so, a catharsis because it's like. So often with stories like this, you get this tragedy of a of a girl who's lived a life of rich, uh, of of lived a life of luxury and then lo- lose it, and then sometimes you'll just see them just absolutely die, just die poor. No, that goes back to we were we were, I actually discussed this last week in my 18th century mm-hmm. long 18th century novel course, which is the rise of the woman novelist. So. We should do some some stuff about that. I have a lot of thoughts. Yes. But it's this particular type of novel called the sentimental novel. And Samuel Richardson, who wrote Clarissa and Pamela, did this a lot. It's supposed to pull on your heartstrings. Clarissa is more of a sentimental novel than Pamela is. Um... The other one that we were, the one that we were reading in class was The Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph, and it is basically a book where everything goes wrong and nothing goes right. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because there were, I think, a lot of books, a lot of poetry and a lot of literature about having good morals and being rewarded for them. Yeah. In, in the 18th century, the long 18th century. I keep saying the long 18th century because it goes from 1640 to 1780. Mm -hmm. And then it switches over to Romanticism. So, like, specific time period that is not just the 18th century. The long 18th century. But, where was that? Sentimental novels. Yeah. Improving literature. It gets a little frustrating. Yeah. To read books where the moral are the moral people or, or the people who do good things are always rewarded because life doesn't actually work like that. Yeah. Sometimes no good deed goes unpunished. Yes. And while in this one it says, like, you will be rewarded, but, like, I can easily imagine what would have happened to Sarah and to Becky if they had not had have, have that sort of... Guardian of some sorts to, uh, I'm not gonna say guardian angel, but I'm just gonna say guardian to save them from this situation because both of them were extremely malnourished. They were, like, they were repeatedly with, they repeatedly had meals withheld from them for doing literally anything wrong. Yeah, just like they were, like, given so much work that they would be late for other things, and they're like, well, then you get punished for that. You don't have a meal. And so you're not having any meals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Of course they're going to be hungry. And then there's this heartbreaking, there's this scene called the, the. it's like a banquet scene where Ermingard brings in all the snacks that her father has sent her. Sorry, not her father, her aunt has sent her, along with the books that her father has sent her, brings them to Sarah, and the th- uh, Ermingard, Sarah, and uh, Becky just have this, sit down together and imagine this beautiful banquet hall in the middle of just desolation and pain. And And cold and damp. And and Miss Minchin, of course, comes in and she's horrified that that Sarah and Becky Becky are being humanized. Yes. She is, I think that the biggest problem for Miss Minchin about the scene that she walked into is not necessarily that Ermengarde had given her food to these Poor young waifs. I said waif again. wave count. Add another tick. Um, but it's like, Ermengarde is sitting down with them to eat with them, is socializing with them, and this is not what you're supposed to do. They're transgressing class boundaries. And that's not allowed. Yeah. It's also, I feel like, there's this lovely commentary on food and social class in both the secret garden and a little princess and in a little princess it is so so poignant the differences between what sarah gets and is given at her birthday party and what ermengarde is given by her parents and what sarah and becky actually get to eat yeah Exactly, because Irma girl, she gets like these beautiful like bonbons and all d fours and and, and, and currant tarts or something, and then Sarah, a couple of scenes be- I think it was either before or after. I think it was before. She goes to and is walking down the street. She finds some money on the street and sixpence. Sixpence. Yeah, and she goes to the baker and she sees this girl in front of her and she asks are you hungry? And she goes to the baker and buys uh, buys four buns. The the baker gives her six because she can tell she's hungry. And Sarah gives five of them to the girl on the steps and takes only one for herself. And that comes back later in the book, which I find just so lovely. Like this is just such a lovely book. Read it to your kids. It's great. It reads a lot so nicely but at the end of the book, Sarah comes back to the bakery with her guardian, and they set it up so that her guardian is charged for all of the buns that the baker wants to give to starving children. The baker is just supposed to give as many as she can. And that, and have the girl who uh, the baker has now rescued yes. off the streets, who Sarah first helped... Yeah. To give out the buns, because she's known what it is like to be hungry. There are no loose threads in this novel. Yeah. It's so nice. I love reading a novel. It's so tightly plotted that there's just, that like, all the threads are woven back in at the end. Ugh, oh, lovely. I think that's the sign of a good children's novel, because so oftentimes in children's novels, they're... <laughs> They're confusing. They can jump around a lot. ACS Lewis, where the fuck did fucking Christmas come from? I just want to know how St. Nick traveled through dimensions. Yes. But, like, the fact that he actually just put put that into the, the thing. Especially when we contrast that to the adaptation we were just watching. So many loose threads. So many. So many. I... It's delightful. It's joyous. <laughs> it's, it's so much fun so many loose flat threads it's you, you you don't watch it because it's a good adaptation you watch it because it's a fun movie and i think there's a difference yeah i thought peter jackson yes absolutely. everybody on the internet jumps down my throat about calling something peter jackson let me explain yes so lord of the rings is a great book um three volume book separated into many individual books, and Peter Jackson made an excellent adaptation in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, starting with The Fellowship of the Ring. I love it. It's such a spectacle. It's such a labor of love. It's absolutely lovingly crafted, and it creates the biggest plot hole I have ever seen in any movie ever. So everybody asks, why didn't the Eagles take the ring to Mordor? And this is because Peter Jackson just decided to skip the entire first book, pretty much up until they get to breathe. He's he's changed all of that. Now this is totally fair because the first book of the Lord of the Rings is like insane. It's bonkers. It's it's like d and D plot. It's yeah, it, definitely this is the connecting step between uh, the Hobbit and the rest of the Lord of the Rings. But. Given that we did The Lord of the Rings first as a movie, we didn't need it, so we skipped out on it. But the main point of that book was that they were doing their best to keep it a secret where Frodo was, where he was going, and whether or not he had the ring. So when you skip out on that, you skip out on the fact that they're trying to keep the ring a secret. Yeah. And keep the fact that they're trying to destroy it a secret. So everybody asks, why didn't the Eagles take the ring to Mordor? It's a stealth mission. Yeah. They've been they, they In the book, they spent three months doing stealth things and setting up stealth things. And, like, they moved slowly and quietly and secretly and securely. No, they couldn't have just asked the Eagles. The whole point was that it was a secret. (laughs) Yeah. I read a whole essay on the first book of Lord of the Rings and why it deserved to be in the adaptation. Um... And because if anybody is interested, I'm totally willing to come back on the podcast and elaborate. Yes. <laughs> and I would be happy to have you for that. We can have our uh, our Lord of the Rings tea party. <laughs> Lord of the Rings special featuring that, Clarissa Rance. That, we have been planning that for nearly two years. We have been years. planning that for nearly two years. And I think that will eventually have to happen. Because um, I would like to make a seed cake eventually. Not just because of, you know, like... Lord of the Rings, but also Jane Eyre has this amazing scene with a seed cake that makes you so hungry, and it's kind of like that scene when they get the soup in A Little Princess. Yes, yeah. Which, because after so long, and what I like is that you first get, like, with the initial foods that Sarah gets, is that it's very frothy, it's very... You need to eat a lot to be satisfied Yeah, whereas... In The Secret Garden and in A Little Princess, the most the, the food that saves Mary Lennox and the food that saves Becky and Sarah is the food of the working class, the substantial food that's meant to actually keep you going over the course of a day. The comforting, the sticks to your ribs, the filling. And that's something that I love, again, about Frances Hodgson Burnett, is that she doesn't shy away from showing wealth as a problem. Yeah. Right. There's there's not just the spoiled aspect of it. There's also the aspect of okay, we've gotten so far away from what is filling and what is healthy and what is good for you that we're hurting ourselves while doing it. Yeah. And, and what I liked and I keep sorry I keep on bringing it back to the Secret Garden because we of course we keep we we, we talked about this and I'm like the two books are very similar um, not only in terms of like. I see I see both of them as little girls saving themselves. Yeah. So if you have a little girl and you're listening to this podcast, definitely read a Secret Garden, The Secret Garden and A Little Princess. And I think also boys would benefit from it. I, I actually, so this is my beef I have with children's literature publishers, is that they will only target things to boys that they think that boys will like. And if anyone who's assigned female at birth can attest to those things are just as fascinating yeah uh young women and girls and people who are assigned female at ad- birth were made to try to identify just with these female characters but we choose to read these other books that yeah I, I actually brought that up in one of my university classes recently and it's this idea of empathy yeah and and cross gender empathy Now, I'm very good at cross-gender empathy because I am gender. So, when we talk about what your favorite novel is for elementary school or primary school age children, it's not surprising to us to hear that a girl's favorite book is Harry Potter. Yeah. It's not surprising to us to hear that. It would be very surprising to us to hear that a boy's favorite book is Matilda. Yeah. Even though it's... Even though it's totally not a gendered book in my mind. But girls are expected to empathize with little boy characters and see themselves in little boy characters. Boys are expected to never, ever see themselves as little girl characters or identify with girl yeah. heroes because this is just not okay. Because, you know, we've constructed gender to be this is one thing and this is the other thing, and part of your gender identity is that you are not anything that is not your gender. Which is so confusing. It is, and one of the reasons why I think all people, not just little girls, why identify with the themes of *The Secret Garden* and *The Little Princess*, is because they they can apply to many people, and you don't have to be a girl to understand that the friendships in both books are important and that they are the types of friendships that you would probably want to have those are like the fulfilling friendships that actually help you and make you better turn you into a better person also and also like can protect you in a way yeah I would actually argue that in the secret garden and you can totally cut this and put this in the other podcast but in the secret garden Mary Lennox is not a particularly gendered hero. Now, this sounds weird, because she always identifies as a girl, and we hear her described as getting dressed, but as somebody who is assigned female at birth and does not particularly identify with any gender, I see her as sort of an almost agender hero, because what she does and who she is is not shaped entirely by her gender. So she definitely can be empathized with by anybody, and it wouldn't really matter to the actual plot of the story if she was a boy. Yeah, and despite what people in adaptation try to think. Gendered heroes. Yes. Romance in adaptation. That's that's what I was was thinking about. I think in every adaptation of The Secret Garden, there's always this shoehorned romance between the kids, which is just icky. I mean, in the 1993 adaptation, it is somewhat between there's even like a jealousy plot yeah and it's it's it, yeah i almost crawled out of my own damn skin it was colin leave your cousin alone leave your cousin al- the worst part about that adaptation for me has to be that they changed it so that the mothers were twin sisters yeah twin sisters and then they shoehorned a romance in there like oh my god pick one yeah <laughs> pick the, one yeah and I think in, in other adaptations that try to do this, they, they're like, well, we can't make it awkward by having them either be sisters or related. So maybe like a godmother. But still, it's so gross. It's so gross. The only time I haven't seen that done, and this is where I'm going to bring in the thing of the, the literary-inspired web series, is that there is a, I think it's called, oh, forget it. It's a Secret Garden adaptation. It's for free on YouTube. And basically it has just the the whole situation with Colin being jealousy, jealous of or Colleen being jealous is because she's worried that she will lose the attention of her cousin, not jealousy is a normal emotion. So let's let's not say that I object to the jealousy because it is jealousy. We all feel jealous of other people at at from time to time. And it's important for kids to see that being worked through in a healthy way, so I don't object to it being shown. What I do object to is the fact that it's because of a romance. Yeah. Gross. It's so messy. It's just, why, why, why is she want a romance in there? It's a freaking kid's story well also as somebody whose best friend is a well aside from you obviously is a dude was born a dude grew up a dude and who I met as an adult and we figured out we were friends only after we tried dating it would be so good to see things where men and women are just friends because we would have saved ourselves the entire headache of having dated yes and I think that's one of the things that why I think it's important that Boys read this sort of gendered literature. Yes. Because so many boys can't empathize and see the fact that girls might be kind to them because they are being kind. There's also... I will never understand male-male friendships in, in, in the modern era. I understand my dad's friendships with his friends because they have shared interests and they like each other genuinely as people but like this idea that if if i am invested in your emotional well-being i must be in love with you is perplexing it is and it's it's gross victoria i am invested in your emotional well-being yeah but i am not in love with you i do love you but i'm not in love with you there. i am the same way <laughs> i'm invested in your emotional well-being but i am not in love, love with, with you. you i love you not in love with you. <laughs> so there you go, friends. And remember, positive affirmations are healthy. Yes. And you can tell your friends mm. that you love them. Cause I mean, man, we tell each other we love each other every time we say goodbye. Because yes, yeah. it's just nice to hear. I just like to tell people that I love them. I'm like. Also, you can't wear it out. Exactly. Exactly. And I will tell people that I love them multiple times a day. I tell Dylan, my partner. I go, I love you. <laughs> I love you. And he's like, yes, I love you too. You're <laughs> <written here> online. <laughs> yes. Positive affirmations are good. Yes, they are. And it's. I think it's important that that we train people to think that kindness does not always have to equal romance. And that love does not always have to be romantic or sexual in nature. I joke that I am friend zone bait because I am interested almost exclusively in intelligent people. And their high school for intelligent people sucks. Yeah. Or, or at least it did when I went to high school. And so I would get a lot of guys who realized that I had an interest in nerds. And then tried to put enough coins, into enough kindness coins, into the friendship machine so I would be interested in them as anything other than a friend. At the time, I identified as asexual. I'm sure you can imagine how that went for them. Yeah. Well, and I, when I was younger, I couldn't tell if someone actually had an interest in me. So if you're listening to this and you were like, I was hard high-key flirting with you in high school if if you if you knew me in high school or junior high i wouldn't have noticed sorry guys because i couldn't tell yes so here's the thing here's here's advice corner with clarissa reframe your understanding of flirting flirting is banter with intent yes so now If you think someone's bantering with you and you banter back and you have no intent, you're not flirting with them. Yeah. If they had intent that you didn't pick up on, yes, they have been flirting with you. But there's nothing wrong with not recognizing that. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with expressing intent and flirting with somebody who banters back at you. The problem comes when you make it their problem. So as long as you're just enjoying the flirtation... And there's no actual pressure to take it to the next level. And if they turn you down, you're not going to cause a huge ruckus and be like, but I thought we were friends. You're totally fine. Yeah. Just just have fun with it. And banter is acceptable for people to have. When... Banter is the best. I hear people say, oh, you're just flirtatious. And it's like, it's like to chat. I'm just witty. You're just very confused because you clearly never had a wit in your life. Well, and also being neurodivergent and not being diagnosed until you're much older. Mm -hmm. We know this is like social cues are completely different. I was trained. Mm -hmm. I love my mother so much. Shout out to my mom. She taught me social cues. By memorization, like by rote, like the way that people teach multiplication. Oh, wow. mom's <laughs> just great. My mom's great. So in case you were wondering why it is that I seem so much better at social things than other people with ADHD, it's because my whole family has ADHD, and we have a long family tradition of just teaching people with ADHD how to deal with it. And it's just great. It's great. I've learned much from you (laughs) over the course of our friendship. But just getting back to it is like social cues because they're from a neurodivergent perspective, they can be very hard to read. You might come across in a completely different way than what you're expecting to. Yeah. Which often happens for me, which people are like, why are you upset? I'm like, I'm not upset. Because vocal inflection is very hard and I can sometimes not understand people understand people's tones well i i don't know if people on this podcast will have noticed yet mostly because half the time i feel like i'm talking in academic clarissa instead of casual clarissa but i have a huge range of tones you do i am incredibly obvious with my tones and that's on purpose. That's because I understand that it's hard to understand tone. And so if I can make it as obvious as possible, that means that I'm not going to make anybody uncomfortable. Yeah. But social cues and neurodivergence does circle back to a little princess because I can bring us back on topic. Yes. <laughs> yes. I loved the first three or four chapters of a little princess as a little girl because that was how I thought. The, the bits that we see inside Sarah's head where she's so confused by the world that she's in and where she's trying so hard to explain herself and it's like nobody can ever understand. That was just me. That was how I felt. It was so relieving to to read yeah that. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, I, I felt that as well. And even in, like, in the Secret Gardens, just, like, being in a new world where you do not feel like you have that connection yet and understanding those, like, the abilities to fit in, Despite but I it. found I found a really good book. I showed you some of it. I read to you some. Of it. Oh yes, it's <laughs> so, funny. so I, funny. I I'm part of me like tempted to read some of it on the podcast eventually. You should. I feel like it's very readable and it's like specifically the bit about the garden hose like being like a cobra. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's a snake that your garden <laughs> hose. And there's another point where he's uh, talking about. Uh, the uh, different th- sort of things you add to your soil. Ah, uh, yes. And the the dust from the grave of a maiden. Sir? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, so, so you're doing witchcraft. <laughs> it's so good. It, it, it's actually a really interesting comedy. And we are back. <laughs> we are back. After I have uh, properly arranged myself in my chair. Yes. But I was just saying, it's an, it, the book I was talking about is called The Gardener's Year by Karel Chapak. Chap Chubek. That's why it's pronounced as he. He was a a Czech writer, anti-fascist. He invented the word robot, and it's a commentary on the amount of control people try to have over the natural world. I mean, he he was an avid gardener, and there isn't really much in the way of advice in there, but there is some like practical things that you're like, yeah, I. Yeah, I should probably get my seeds started sooner than rather than later. I started my seeds just recently. We are recording this in late February, and so I started my peppers. I uh, I need to start mine. I need to get soil, or at least seed pods. I like the little seed pods. I just think they're cute. They're adorable, and especially if you're, you don't mm-hmm. want to get soil everywhere in your house like I did during lockdown. That was one of my things, <laughs> I stayed inside, and well, no, actually, no. I went outside. I went under the gazebo, and I filled seed pods in the cold. And it was just like hands, the cold hands. Yes, but at least didn't get dirt everywhere. And then I did, I did get dirt everywhere when I tried to plant my tomatoes and stuff. It's a fun read. I will try to read some of it eventually because I think it's 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 a delight, and because it's a translated book, you don't often hear about it. Yes, it's funny how um, things have shifted over the years. When you think about what people read in the 15th century and earlier, a lot of it was translated. Either it was translated from French, and it was the romans, not romance, romans, which was the French medieval literature, yeah. specifically long-form poems that were then translated into English. Or if you could read French, you would read them in French. Um, and translated Greek and Roman plays. Classics. That was read a lot. But then, you know, sort of as the long 18th century wore on and the novel became more popular, and then into the Romantic period with Jane Austen, and further on into the Victorian period, and now even into today, we read, if we speak English, we read English books. We read books that were written originally in English. We read novels. We read yeah, that is that is what we read, and I think that's so interesting to kind of chart that progression. Yeah, and especially if you, if you want to read a book, and typically if you are in Canada, you are gonna find it's harder to read about places you know about unless you deliberately search things out. Because Canadian most literature of, is hard to find. It's hard to find, and it's hard to find ones that you can actually enjoy and see yourself in. A lot of it's contemporary, or it's extremely depressing, or it's dust bowl fiction. Yes. That's what I like to refer to the sort of, the prairies are big and lonely and empty and they blow dust across my face. And oh, look at the colors of the canola. (laughs) It is like my soul, my sickly soul, on these prairies. It is the depression, and I am depressed. I am depressed by the color of canola. Yes, that should be one of the things I put into the into the Instagram saying, like, listen to this episode to understand why canola fields are depressing. Oh, look at the wide empty prairie it's like yeah it's empty because you emptied it bitch yeah it's colonialism it's colonialism hashtag bring back the buffalo yes yes hashtag bring back the buffalo yeah buffalo wolves which wolves were killed because we decided to bring in cattle And you know what cattle replaced buffalo yeah you know what wolves don't kill buffalo because they're they're fucking huge they're freaking huge and you know what buffalo meat is delicious so, it's so good hashtag bring back the buffalo i'm gonna make it happen
1: it will happen
0: if if we ever get to have our, <laughs> our, our our shared farm Ah yes, the small farm dream small i've realized i don't want a small farm i want farm pets that that is okay I I, uh, I still have a dream of owning a little chateau. A little chateau. Uh, a little chateau, it is highly unlikely, because, uh, frankly, I don't know the situation in Europe, and I don't think I would want to move there right now. No. Even as a German citizen, I do not know. Anywhere in the world is really hard to go to right now. Uh, hi, so if the world ever stops ending, I would like to go on an adventure. I really want to just walk through England with you. Me too. Yeah. It will happen. It we will happen. happen. We will go on the moors and smell the heather and... But you need to come to Kelowna. Yes. Speaking of, maybe when it starts to melt a little bit, we should do the uh, secret garden, S- the song skipping. <laughs> so we can actually just recreate the secret garden film in, or in, and, uh, the little, uh, and the a little princess As the Little Princess and the Secret Garden as according to Victoria and Bear. (laughs) These are a few of our favorite scenes. The Spawns! The (laughs) Spawns! Or Stands Dramatically on a Cliff. Linnaeus! With his greasy hair floating in the wind. Or uh, we could break into a a song and dance over top of a set of stairs. Yes. (laughs) We could do that. We could do that. What other thing could we do inspired by a little princess? Well, there's the whole dressing gown scene. Yes, we do want to recreate that and make the soup and eat the little English muffins. I would love to learn how to make gluten-free English muffins because I... If there's one thing you guys don't know about me yet, is that I'm a fiend for carbohydrates, and I love English muffins. I eat them. uh, I I force-fed you low-carb food today. Hey, I'm good with that. It was delicious, though. It was delicious. And I did have three slices of gluten-free banana bread. Yeah, there was a reason I force-fed you low-carb lunch. Yes, because I cannot control myself. Uh, I make a very special banana bread from the Murder Mystery Writers of America cookbook, and it is gluten-free tough flour banana bread. I think we're just getting hungry talking about all this food, so maybe we should... uh... I still got more frittata downstairs. I'm thinking about it. Anyway, okay, so... Maybe we should uh, wrap up, uh, (laughs) because... Do we want to talk about that one scene in uh, The Little uh, Little Princess, where they're just eating the soup? Okay, but first I really want to talk about the adaptation. Yes, oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so we didn't get to do that. Oh my goodness. Okay, so... I love the A Little Princess adaptation featuring Shirley Temple, which was released in 1939. So it was, like, just on the cusp of war. Yeah. And, oh, my God, they made so many choices. So much nationalism. But British nationalism, which I was not expecting. Yeah, especially because everyone had an American accent, so it was so dark. There were two British accents in the entire film. Yes, and they were, like, the most plummy... The plummiest. Uh Like we got the uh, Queen Victoria, um, just looking ghastly pale. They made her look like a black and white picture, and yes. I think that was the goal. I think that was. I think that was on purpose. But so the adaptation that features Shirley Temple changes things so that Captain Crew is not going off to see to his investments. He's going off to war, the Boer War. Yeah, colonialism. It's a problem. Yeah. So, he dies in the war, except Sarah refuses to believe he's dead, which was not what happened. Yeah. And then there is the weirdest dream sequence. Oh, don't forget. A romance plot between oh, yes. two people who didn't who exist. Didn't exist. A, a mysterious brother for Miss Minchin. Instead of her sister. Yes. Who we just slopped. Uh, who didn't exist <laughs> I mean I He used st- to be on the stage Yeah, he used to be on the stage At least he stood up to Miss Minchin earlier Yes Oh, but then there's that dream sequence And I loved that dream sequence as a child It was my favorite part of the movie I believe it because it was. I think it's so much still fun. my favorite part of the movie <laughs> It's so much fun Because he got like this whole <gasps> It's just 20 straight minutes of, of Sarah being an actual literal princess In a fairy tale world And it's delightful And then by the time she's out of it Oh wow I've entered my own fairy tale world Yeah then the, then that's when Ram Das Sneaks in all of the things Yes So bizarre It's so bizarre. so bizarre Anyway also the other thing that I found hilarious Is that she brings her father Out of a fugue state By hugging him By hugging him, him. This is not how PTSD works. Yeah. Um. This also, partially. So while the uh, 1993 version, yeah. sorry, not 1993. I think is 1994, 1995, by oh, Alfonso. 1995. Quart- yeah, by Alfonso Cuarón. It is a bit more book accurate, but it does take some of the liberties from some the Shirley Temple, <laughs> Shirley Temple adaptation. There is the yeah. uh, the um uh, like PTSD amnesia from the father. And he is brought out by, uh, eventually, but, like, not before he gets his own child arrested. I and At least that's what I remember. Sorry, I, I literally audibly gasped, and I don't know if it picked up on that. Oh, I totally did, knowing my microphone. It definitely left out more of the French Revolution parts. Yes, there was some of it, but there not. was like a three-minute dance sequence where we see ballerinas in in historically accurate costumes flouncing around. I wanted to be a ballerina because of that scene. I wanted to wear the big fluffy tutus, like the long ones, the, the yeah. romantic ones that go down to your calves. Loved them. Wanted to be in Giselle as a kid. Now there's the ballet. The other thing that I really loved about the Shirley Temple adaptation was that all of the costumes were super great. Like they were they, great. They were. They were so good. The only ones that were a little iffy were the children's costumes. Yeah. Yeah. But like every single adult was like on point. Yes. Except with their hair. Except. Except the hair. Very thirties hair. Yes. And speaking of costuming. We definitely do see really good costuming in the Secret Garden, which we didn't get to last year. Yes. Maggie Smith's entire wardrobe. Yes. All of Martha's aprons. Martha's aprons are so good. And the fact that they reuse outfits. Yes. Not so much on Mary, but they did do that a couple of times. And then Mary's outfits are... Like, the details... Like there's this scene in the opening credits where it's just her getting dressed. And then when she gets all dirty in it and she's like, It wasn't my fault, they dressed me too early. And she's having like a fit. Yeah. 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 God. But frothy lace confections on a child? What were you thinking? Yes. Well, I remember us commenting, Look at the stockings. Look at the stockings. <laughs> the gutters. Ah. It was so good. And just like, ah. And, like, the little ribbons on her combinations. Yes. Ah. As people who are making our own combinations. Or <laughs> have made them. This is the era we sew in. This is the era we are currently selling in. Yes. For a secret, not-so-secret project. For, like, just a project we don't want to tell anybody about, because what if we don't finish it? We will finish it because we have spent so much time on it already. Hashtag just ADHD things. <laughs> ADHD. I, I will make us do it because I, won't, I want to take pictures of you in the thing. In the thing. I I will finish at least one of the two things I am currently working on. I promise. It may not be the thing you think it will be, but it will at least be appropriate. And how's that for vague as hell? <laughs> yes. let just, you've talked to me in the podcast community, you actually know what I'm talking about, but, because I have mentioned this to my podcast. But friends. I feel like we're, we're hyping this up. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to... We will, uh, I, I will make sure we execute it in some fashion. I know, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to the hype. You will live up to it. You always live up to the hype. uh. you're so sweet. Aww. I'm going to have to dye my hair. I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I... She, I think you're good, unless you yeah. want to. Because I don't look good with black hair, and that's the thing, is that her hair's a bit more like a dark, dark brown. Yeah, you could go a little dark. I don't think you need to. Yeah. I think you're good. Yeah. Because my hair color does suit me. I suppose, technically speaking, I'm going to have to undye my hair, but since the dye was, you know, green. <laughs> yes. But it looks good. I'm loving the anime character vibes of My Hair Matches My Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As for the uh, adaptation, I think one of the, the unfortunate things is that it added too many characters, but lost the good ones it had. It's It suffered a lot from because it tried to put that romance arc in, and so then it had to spend so much time focusing on the adult characters that it couldn't have the two little girls, Lottie and Ermengard, who were, like, who carried the plot for, like, sections of the novel. Or even just sort of more of the relationship between Sarah and Becky, who at this certain point, they just sort of, they become equals. Yes. Which is unfortunate. And also the fact that they had her be so emotional. Yes. Whereas Sarah is... Sarah's very reserved. She's so reserved to the point where it's unsettling. For yes. People. And it's because she has this idea that she is a princess, and that's the only thing that save her, saves her is, <sighs> she's a princess, she will get through this. And they don't know that she's, she's secretly a princess. It's also the thing that really attracted me to the character of Sarah was was the unnerving effect. I was an unnerving child. Yes. I was... I. I'm an unnerving adult. That's mostly because I look 15 and I talk like I'm 35. Oh my god. Recently. So for anybody who doesn't know, I am 24 years old. You are older than me. I am. I did, it has been a decade since I have needed to go to a junior high. I am. So basically, I I've never talked to anyone who is younger than me on this podcast, ever. So everyone has been older than me or will be older than me. Well, we, we, we could have pretended They would have definitely believed in That I was younger than you Yes In a couple of weeks I will announce this with Liz From You Should Have Ghosted But we have a um, We're going to be planning a online murder mystery With pirates Pirates? You, you are invited
1: That's Because you, you, yeah, no I've, I've already
0: you invited go. you <laughs> But I think, we, uh, think Liz and I Got so distracted talking about it talking about the show that we uh, we watched. Are we going to be doing that pirate thing live? Cause yeah, but like, I was I was thinking we could do it, like, we could put it on Twitch. Ooh, okay, maybe we should do that. Okay, we do it live. Okay, I will talk to Liz about that, because that would be fun. I, because I have had a couple of questions about me doing it on, uh, doing the podcast on Twitch. I don't know if I can do that full time. Well, also, like, I, how do I phrase this? I feel like you would Panic yourself at the thought of doing live stuff. Yeah, I. Whereas I have the confidence of a light boy. <laughs> yes, and I feel like with with your sewing uh, idea from the Secret Garden episode, yeah. that that would be cool. I, uh and I mean, I've performed live before. It's just you know, it's different when you're doing it all the time. I think we're getting off track again. Yeah. So maybe we should finish up because I think right, we've sort of covered everything that we wanted. Yes. Oh, did we want to do our fan casting? No. Oh, the ADHD brain has come back online. Yes, we were. We we came up with a fan casting of The Secret Garden that we never got to actually put on the episode. And then I was thinking we should also do that for the, a Little Princess no idea what idea for a little princess let's start with the secret garden because it's so good so colin firth adult man as colin reprising his role because it it, he might have played uh mr craven in the most recent adaptation which sucked (laughs) i'm so mad about that there's a 1980s version where he plays older colin who he it's it's weird it's gross he and Mary have a thing when they're older. Ooh, Cause Dickens crazy. dead. Dickens is dead. Cause he died in the war. He's dead. And then uh, yeah. Uh the Colin Colin is Colin. Colin is Colin. Uh wait. Nick, else do we Nick Cage is yes. uh, Mr. Craven. But specifically, is Nick Cage during national treasure? So like national treasure is going on in the background? Yeah, yeah, because he just, so, Mr. Griffin just looks like he's a fuckboy going around Europe on adventures, so he could absolutely be going around stealing the Declaration of Independence, and so, hence Nick Cage. Nick Cage. Um, Terry Crews, as As Mary Mary Lennox, (laughs) just wearing a sign on his chest that says nine-year-old girl. Yes. Nine-year-old girl wearing a succession of wigs, to I be terrible, terrible to good wigs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Dickens was Timothy Chalamet. Yes. Uh. Uh. Specifically when he's in the in the yeet skirt, <laughs> yeet, yeet skirt video with uh on, on SNL, smoking uh smoking weed, <laughs> cause uh I feel like Dickens would absolutely smoke weed. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, uh, Martha, we did not discuss... We did name. not discuss Martha. I feel like we just decided that Martha... No! Millie Bobby Brown! Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, no. Uh, yeah, Millie Bobby Brown. I thought she was going to be... Uh, oh, yeah. Mrs. Medlock. <laughs> Mrs. Medlock is teenage Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> yeah, so basically all the adults are playing children... And there's only one child playing the most adult adult. Um, I'd like to. For Martha. Hmm. Maggie Smith reprises. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie Smith and Martha. You know what? I think. No! Sprout! Professor Sprout! Yes! Oh my gosh, yes, you're right! Yes, Miriam Margulies as Martha. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and Milda Staunton, who played uh, Umbridge, should be. should. <laughs> should be Susan Sowerby. Yes. <laughs> and just like. <laughs> this is my child, Martha, <laughs> who's an 80 year old woman. And this is my son, Dickon, who's a boy in his mid 20s. <laughs> Dickie has a way with animals. There he is, my tiny horse. <laughs> or, there he is, my tiny crow. <laughs> He's extra tight <tiny> today. <laughs> oh, I don't think we can top that for a little princess. <laughs> uh Since we already went with old... Um, wait, okay, let's uh, take this one people. seriously, though. Let's take uh, let's, this one seriously. Uh, so... What I, so, what I'm thinking, so, we could take it seriously, and we could also take it seriously, we could have it be a conversation about gender as well, because if we, if we could update it to the present. If we updated it to the present, what I would love to have is, like, uh, so let's put Timothy Chalamet in here, he's hot, stuff, I don't actually personally find him. Yeah, no, he's, he's he's kind of, I just want to feed him soup. yeah. He's greasy but touchable. I mean, 5 <laughs> out of 10. 5 out of 10, greasy but touchable. Uh, That's a passing grade. It's a passing yeah, grade. it's passing grade. Mr. Craven in the 1993 version gets So that. let's have Timothy Chalamet be um, Robert, Bobby, instead of Becky. Yes. And then let's have Millie Bobby Brown as Sarah, as Sarah because she, I think she would give the appropriate Unnervingness. Yes, and then so we would ha- we could have um you know what I'd actually think so I like your idea for Becky but I was actually I, a part of me is thinking so the, in his dark materials there's this uh I forget his name the main boy. I feel like he would be really good as Becky. I don't. Yeah, that's a, a good, fair choice. Yes. I don't know that many actors. Yes. I would love to see, um, who's the, who's the main girl, the main little girl in Jingle Jangle? Oh, what's her name? Oh. Uh, you watched it? No. Oh. <laughs> um. Uh. But... I Don't watch TV, but would she might be good as, Ermengird, though. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, because yeah, she would be good. Um, I think Timothy Chalamet should be Letitia, yes, except it's like Lawrence or something. Yeah, yes, Letitia, Lawrence, or, or uh, Latty, <laughs> Latty, Lattice, Lattice Man. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop saying. I feel for now. like he could be the appropriate amount of bitchy. Yes, he t- he could. I could. It... <laughs> Love Why? to see like Meryl Streep as Mrs. Medlock. Oh. Cause we I feel like we have Meryl Streep, except for in The Devil Wears Prada being super nice. And she was just such a good witch in that one. She, uh, she was also in, um what's it called? Uh, Into the Woods, where she played it with both like. Kate and also just like she was so good at being a villain. She was the only good part of that film. <laughs> Any film with James Corden as a romantically just. Yeah. You lost me. Yeah, I. S- Nothing against Chevy guys. Jack Black to me is apparently... I I think I think Jack I Black just is sexy. Personally, detest James Corden. Oh, I, I hate James Corden. The day carpool karaoke ends, is the the day that we will be rid from pure evil. Just kidding. Because there's actually real mm-hmm. horrific then, yeah, things. well, but we will drink a bottle of gin between the two of us in celebration. <laughs> We're getting pre- we're close to an hour and 38 minutes is actually longer than the Secret Garden episode. So maybe we should end here. And to be fair, I think we have half an hour's worth of the Secret Garden content jammed in here. Yes, because it's still conversation there, still conversation in the Secret Garden. Because there's so... You, you can't. You know what we'll have to do? Mm-hmm. You know what we have to do now? Yeah. We have to read Little Lord Fontelroy. I've got it on audiobook. I will download we'll do. it from the library, and I, cause it's on. Uh, what's it called? Project Gutenberg, mm-hmm. making of a marchioness, one of her adult books. Okay. okay, so let's do the last children's book, and then next, we'll do that. We'll do one of her adult books, and then we will be done with what I will term the Francis Francis Hodgson Burnett series, the accidental Francis Hodgson <laughs> Burnett series, cause it was her, cause we did this on uh on on Tuesday. And it's reading week for us, which is why we were able to get together twice. Yes. And also, we don't leave our houses. so We don't leave our houses. It's COVID. I don't go out. Yes, and also, I've got a grandma, so i got to make sure she's safe. I, I was like, oh, I'll quickly read the, A Little Princess, because we kept on talking about it. I was like, I feel like I need to read it now. It's just because I had recently read it. Yes, and I was like, I, I had tried to reread it quickly, but I was like, I don't have time. I started it don't have time to finish it. So then we decided we'd come back and we'd talk about it again, because I can't leave well enough alone. And <laughs> part of was like, should I wait until I, till the first day of spring and put this one up? And I'm like, no, we'll give everyone a precursor to that chaos. Yes. With this one, with me singing like Timothy challenge <laughs> Every episode I'm on is just like, Making bad decisions, really, really bad decisions. That? I'm making bad decisions with you. Yes. I uh, can't sing. And uh, I, I hope that all of our singing during this episode doesn't get us flagged for copyright. Otherwise, I will just put bleeps. I am fairly certain I am not in key. Well, I'm definitely not in key because I'm... I, there he is, my tiny horse <laughs> <laughs> References Yes um, Jokes, jokes, jokes Yes, but also Most of the conversations I've had on this show Are long and ADHD-fueled So don't worry If, uh, yes Well, that, I think, should end Should wrap up this episode Before we get any more distracted than we already have Yes In Summary have some soup. Have some soup. Eat yeah. eat a bun. Eat a bun. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And that's it for today. So thank you again to Clarissa for chatting with me. You'll be definitely hearing a lot of them in the future. I'm so excited. They're, they're amazing. Such a good friend. We had a blast recording this. And I hope you all can tell that. Especially from me amount of stuff that I had that I will likely have to edit out after I record this (laughs) but there you go before I close out the episode I would like to acknowledge that I write record and produce this podcast on Six territory the Mitsinimi, Cree, Salto, Nakota Sioux, Dene, Ojibwe, Inuit, and Métis as well as many other indigenous peoples and groups have lived and gathered together on this land using it as a travel route and gathering place for many generations, practicing their traditions, their languages, and ceremonies, and continue to do so. I acknowledge this because their history and stories are important, as their connection to the land is something that deserves respect. Thank you all for taking the time to listen to my podcast. This is a one-woman show, so it means the world to me that you all listen. I write, record, interview, edit, and do all the social media by myself. It's all me, so if you could please leave a rating and a review on your Vera Podcast directory, I would greatly appreciate that. It really helps me to spread the word and get more people like you to listen. And if you're new here, welcome. I would love it if you subscribed and stayed a while. I post bi-weekly, depending on my school and work schedule. I have a lot of great plans for episodes on this podcast, so if you stay, I'd be most grateful. If you'd like to be involved on this podcast as a guest, you can send an email over to litwithbicpodcasts at gmail.com. If you'd like to answer the listener's episode question, please look at the community tab on, on Spotify or on Instagram. The podcast can be found on Instagram under at Lit podcast, or you can find me personally on at Victoria with a K reads books. On both, I share book reviews, memes about the podcast, and much more. Occasionally, some gluten-free baking, but very occasionally. <laughs> It's a lot of fun, and on Twitter you can find me by searching at Bradley Victoria. And on TikTok you can find me on my account at Victoria with a K reads books. If you're interested in any of the books and other media mentioned on the show, you can look at my website, which is www.litwithvicpodcast.wixite.com. You can find all these links in, in my description. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode and to my little spiel here. I hope you all stay curious and find something exciting to explore. Until next time, I will see you soon. Or I guess hear you soon. Bye.